So time for us to reflect on what has been a terrific final of the uh, German Open in Hamburg. A great matchup between the two Myers. Leonardo Meyer of Argentina eventually coming out on top against Florian Meyer of Germany. It also gives us a, a chance now to uh, discuss uh, other big talking points of the past week. But firstly, let's just have a recap on how it happened in Hamburg. Advantage against him, Florian about to serve, taken on the backhand, goes deep cross-court, comes back to Leonardo's form, that just gets over the net, deep from Florian, then he hits a slice, attempted drop shot, but it lands in the bottom of the net, so trying to change it up, but he gets himself in trouble with that, and he's now been broken for the first time, and it is Leonardo Meyer, the champion of three years ago, who has the initial break in today's final. Florian Meyer set points down, serve out wide, forehand comes to his forehand, he hits it up the line. Leonardo covers across with the backhand, that skims the net. Sliced backhand approach from Leonardo, from Florian, who's up at the net, trying to cover these. He's hit the covering volley wide, though, out into the tram lines. And that brings an end to the first set. Leonardo Meyer of Argentina, who made the better start, was then briefly pulled back, has broken again and taken it by six games to four. Back to the wall here, 15-40 for all. Serve, block return, takes it on the forehand, goes back down the centre of the court. Whip forehand from Florian, driven from Leonardo, but the call of out against a Leonardo's shot. And he hasn't got the umpire to come and inspect that one. He's acknowledged that, conceded that he has been broken. And Florian Meyer, who looked like uh, he might be very close to defeat a few minutes ago, is now leading this set and will serve for it 5-4 ahead. Florian Meyer serving for the set. He's got it with an ace. What a time for his first ace of the final. They're all square. Shadow coming across the corner by Florian Meyer. Serves, break point down, forehand drive, return to his back, and he goes up the line. He's gone long. He's looped it over the line. The mark is circled by Leonardo Meyer, but that is the breakthrough. Is that going to be the decisive one of this final in Hamburg? Because now... Leonardo Meyer, as you heard there from the umpire, Damien Steiner, leads 5-3 in this final set. A second serve on championship point. He serves it now, it's heavy. It comes back to his forehand. He drives into the backhand corner. Defensive shot from Florian. It lands in the court. Backhand driven out of play by Florian Meyer in the end as Leonardo lashed the ball with one great forehand to finish and now celebrates as the champion his second career title. It's his second title in Hamburg, and how well-deserved. This is ATP Tennis Radio. Some match, some occasion, some emotion. Arvin Palmer, your thoughts reflecting back on that, uh, where it was won and lost, ultimately. Well, I thought uh, it was a thoroughly entertaining battle, really, and I thought uh, Leonardo Meyer did really well to, to recover, really, in that third set. The disappointments of losing that second set, I think uh, Florian Meyer really did uh, up his level towards the end of that second set, having saved those break points in the sixth game. Love 40 down, found the first serves, and certainly had the momentum going into the third set. But there was very little between the two, actually, uh, until very right towards the end, shall I say, where I just felt Florian Meyer just got a little tired there last couple of games he did look a little jaded he did he was gesturing to his corner as well that you know his right thigh perhaps was a touch of cramp he was he's getting a bit tired there but uh, yeah, the all-out attack from Leonardo was what in my opinion that, that won it, him in the end his serve which has uh, 
done so well for him this week clearly did in the final ultimately I mean the percentage was much higher than Florian's and he was able to back it up off the ground with a, a host of winners 44 winners yeah. from Leonardo 28 off that forehand I mean those are his strengths aren't they yeah the serve and forehand that's what he, he builds his, his game around I think uh, the backhand can certainly take your breath away at times the way he can strike it but it, it, it is the serve and forehand that does does all the work and kind of just looking at the match and how he was able to put so much pressure on, on the Florian Meyer game was that he was he was so aggressive on the second serve return. I mean, he uh, really did make uh, the German's life very difficult when he missed his first serve. He was able to get that first strike in. He was able to get ahead in the point. And you, know, you play on the clay. It, it is so so much about momentum uh, during a match, but also within the point as well. When you get your guy on the move uh, and defending. It's so difficult on a clay court to get back to that 50-50 level, what you're looking for from the back of the court. So I think it, it, it always favours the guy that's being a little bit more aggressive and is, is just executing that a little bit better. And we saw and we heard afterwards how much it means to Leonardo to have got this. He talked in his uh, winner's speech of, of being inspired by his young son to have his little baby boy there present, you know, is, is the inspiration for him on the tour to keep making him work hard and try and come back from the latest injury and where he'd only won a couple of matches before this week on the tour this year to now go right through this, uh, this tournament as a lucky loser, no less, and, and claim the trophy. Uh, it was pretty special. It's an incredible story and life completely changes when you, you have a family just look at all the other players now that are starting to travel with their families is Jules Muller doing it for the first time this year winning in Sydney just having an outstanding year his his family on the road with him most weeks so Roger Federer of course with his four children Andy Murray says now that you know tennis isn't always the focus you don't live breathe it 24 hours a day now it's about your family and and uh, you're able to just to enjoy things a little bit more and Fabio Fanini as well today in Switzerland uh, you know uh, a, a new father uh, and Another perhaps, one. Uh, perhaps you know just a little less pressure on your shoulders because there, there are better things out there it's not only just about tennis yeah Fabio Fanini's uh, tennis uh, was fabulous today it, it lit up uh, Gestad because he won his fifth title there he won a uh, 6-4 7-5 against uh, Hanfman, the uh, German qualifier, Yannick Hanfman, who had done so well to uh, get right through to the title decider. But in the end, it was the Italian who prevailed in straight sets. 21 winners from him. Very few unforced errors, of course, on clay on his day. He can be a sublime force, and he certainly fought, was in that match. Just must mention uh, David Goffin, who came back uh, to that event, coming back onto the tour after his injury, ruled him out of uh, Wimbledon. But uh, good to see him at least getting back into competition. But uh, tough for him that uh, ultimately when he got through his opening match against uh, Radu Albert, then against Robin Haaser, a final set tiebreak. But I guess, you know, he's been lacking matches, lacking, uh, you know, the fitness, uh, the ankle problem. But now at least back on the tour and uh, be hoping for better things as they switch to the hard courts in the future regaining confidence with every match every practice session he does because that was really unfortunate for him because he was going great guns at the time and he was certainly in that kind of second pack of players as far as favorites for the French Open were concerned I mean, he was playing some really good ball so uh, yeah glad glad that he's back out on the court and, and hopefully that ankles uh, good to go now on the on the half courts and mentioning that surface, the hard courts, uh, the Atlanta Open this week, uh, that uh, drawing to a conclusion at the time of uh, recording this. We know that uh, two Americans will contest the final because Ryan Harrison overnight, he uh, defeated Britain's Carl Edmund, came through to win in three sets, and John Isner 
joined him in the final with a straight sets victory over Gilles Muller. And of course, uh, ATP uh, World Tour, uh, you can get all the latest on uh, the website, uh, the result of that, and uh, reflections on that as well. But we hop back to Hamburg finally, and we talk about uh, German interest. It wasn't to be a, a German champion in the end, but uh, one of those who entered the fray at the start of the week, of course, was Philipp Kohlschreiber. But a disappointing end for him, because uh, it did end in that semi-final defeat after injury. But uh, he did talk about uh, the fact that overall this year has been pretty good. Earlier this year, Philipp Kohlschreiber joined an elite club, winning his 400th tour-level match. It represents an impressive achievement for Philipp, who's now third in all-time match wins by German players, ahead of stars like Michael Stieg and Nicholas Kiefer. Well, I'm not a big statistic guy, you know. Um, of course, it's great. I don't know how many players achieved that before. Um, I have to figure out the numbers, but um, yeah, I hope it's not the end, you know. Um, my lucky number is six, so maybe I go for 600. It means another, maybe, I don't know, four or five years or maybe less if I do really well. I always um, bring a good attitude, 100% of motivation. Um, I think I'm a kind of funny guy for a German. I'm very happy how I'm playing tennis right now. I'm building up a good game and um, yeah, I'm looking forward. I think I have still a good potential to improve myself on the court and um, well, you know, if, if I can really finish my career very strong, I'm very happy. Much of Karl Schreiber's long-running success stems from his fluid one-handed backhand. So what are the keys to this weapon that served him so well? Of course, one hand you need to be maybe a little bit stronger, um, especially if the ball is rising higher than your shoulder. Um, but you need to have a very good footwork, um, very stable um, hip, you know, that you don't rotate too much, and a good wrist. And um, I mean, it's a combination, but I think the wrist is, a, is also a big key factor. I think it's, uh, it looks maybe more natural than the two-handed backhand. Um, it's, it's great to see that also a few young ones, um, like team is coming with a huge backhand as well. Uh, yeah, it's, I think the damage maybe you also can do, you know, like most of the two-handed players, they have unbelievable solid, but I think the variety with the one-handed, you have more short angles, um, maybe a bit more power, and um, yeah, and I think maybe the, the look of the shot is, um, it's for my side, a little bit better looking than the two-handed backhand. A winner of seven career singles titles, he's enjoyed most success in Munich. I think a very special one was uh, winning Munich first time. Um, of course, home tournament, friends, family, everybody was there. Um, and also it left me up to believe that I can really achieve something big to win a tournament on, on the highest level. Of course, I have still um, some room to improvement. Um, I want to change my game a little bit from maybe more defense to more offense style. I think um, tennis changed in the, the last years, like bigger guys come on tour, bigger servers, stronger hitters, so you also have to adjust your game. Of course, I want to achieve uh, still top 10 would be uh, like the dream I still have in my mind. I think if I stay healthy, I still can compete on the highest level and um, hopefully I have a few big wins still in my side. Philip Kohlschreiber talking there to Gabriel Clark on the ATP Uncovered show presented by Peugeot. Well, Kohlschreiber.
top 10 still aiming high, isn't he? Obviously, mm. he needs the body to uh, back him up there, and uh, that's been an issue for him in Hamburg this week. But in terms of German players, where does he stand for you in, in, in the current crop? Well, I think uh, he's certainly one of the most most consistent uh, that, that have ever been. Uh, I think just looking down the list, obviously the greats and like Boris Becker, Michael Stick, these type of players, Nicholas Kiefer, Arena Schuttler, these guys were uh, very much at the the very top of the game. I think uh, you know he can still cause a lot of upsets. Can Cole Shelby has got a classy game. He talked about his single-handed backhand. It's still one of the best ones out there. No, no question about that. But I think he's just lacked some some consistencies over the years, as far as year upon year, stringing those results together uh, with the injuries now as well. And on occasion, I think uh, you know perhaps he hasn't always given it his 100% uh, best out there mentally. I think uh, he has the ability. Why? Well, Unfortunately for him, just to, to tap out every now and then, gets a little down on himself. But when he's playing at his very best, we saw that at the start of the year, wasn't it, in Dubai, one of the best matches I've seen him play against Andy Murray for two sets. He was just incredible. And Murray really had to pull out uh, you know, some tricks there in, in that second set tiebreak to, to stay alive. He's obviously now into his 30s, but uh, in terms of the next crop, that the standout is Alexander yes. Zverev. So how high do you think he can go? I think he can make it all the way to the top. For me, I think uh, he's a, a future world number one. I think he's uh, certainly a multiple Grand Slam uh, champion. I think so many area of areas of his game has have improved, not only physically but tactically, uh, mentally as well, technically as well. You know, the forehand used to be the shot to try and break down when we first saw him on, on tour, but now that's become a weapon and a lot more so the backhand is world-class and for a guy his size he moves so well and he's not anywhere near the finished article physically so I mean I think uh, the way he's trending right now I think he's just got to remain patient uh, because the current crop of players at the top of the game aren't going anywhere just yet and if he stays injury free you've got to buy stock in him that, that's for sure. Single-handed backhands, you had one of those. I mean, <laughs> how would you assess the current crop, the ones out there? I mean, obviously, you look at the big names, the Federer, Vavrinka, Dominic Thiem, mm. Dimitrov, Gasquet, Lopez, and Carl Schreiber. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think... Uh, would you pick one above, you know, any other? You know, I think there's others? so many different kind of aspects to a single-handed. You talk about power, and, and obviously Dominic Thiem comes to comes to mind straight away, uh, Vavrinka as well, the ability to hit these winners, Gasquet, on the back foot, falling backwards. I mean, it's quite incredible how they can generate pace up the line, cross-court, also with a little bit of feel, but the, ver uh, the variety that uh, Roger Federer brings, I think, uh, is just been incredible. Uh, the way he's transformed that shot in the last yeah. year or so, how early he's been taking it, how he's used the drop shot, how he's used and, and just uh, fine-tuned that slice backhand just a little shorter to drag his opponents forward. The variety that Federer brings is, for me, I think will all, always be number one. Well, certainly it has been a shot that has, has brought him, you know, major success this year. Again, it's transformed the way now he's confident mm. hitting through that ball. So uh, I think I'd have to agree with that, that uh, that is a fair assessment. But it's great to still see the variety of these single-handers, the way they are used uh, compared with the, the two-handed shots that, that the bulk of them do like to do. Well, let's hear now from another man who exited the Hamburg tournament earlier than he would have liked. Hello, my name is Karin Khachanov and you are listening to ATP Tennis Radio. I think when you win your first title, you never expect it, you know, that you think that it can be earlier or later. So you're just waiting for your chances, you know, and that's what it happened with me. So maybe I didn't expect it to win there, you know, but I was playing really good level of tennis and 
at the end, you know, I, I've done it. So, yeah, sometimes I think the first title you don't expect, yeah. A quick one about Milan. Um, you're second in the race. How much do you think this introduction of this tournament, has that changed the way you've approached the year in any way? Not really. I mean, I'm doing my schedule, not thinking about Milan, let's say, too much. So I think all the players, they do it. So we're focusing in making the right schedule um, to put a lot of work. And then, OK, Milan is just one of the tournaments that we have raced, you know, separate from, let's say, London. And of course, the best eight players from our age, they will compete there. You're based for much of the year in, in, in Barcelona. Um, obviously, you know, clay court events there, clay court practices. Do you think that has drawn you to prefer clay as a preferred surface for you? Mm, I don't know. I don't think so. But because normally, you know, how the season is going. So you start the year playing on hard, then you change on clay like two months, then you play on grass. Then again, let's say like we are now in the middle of the season, you can play a few weeks on hard court or clay and then again hard outdoor and hard indoor. So when I came to Barcelona, we were doing the same as always. So just practicing on the surfaces that I had tournaments in front of me. So I don't think that I started to play more on clay. I think it just fit, fits me well. So and I improved my game a lot on clay. A lot of people are talking about you as you know, as one of the game's kind of rising stars. How much extra sort of as that spotlight? Do you feel that? Do you, does that affect you at all that now people are a lot of people talking about you? And I prefer not to think about it and not to listen too much, so I'm not reading a lot of press about me, so I'm trying to focus on my things that I have to do on my game, so with my team, you know, the work that I have to to, to do in, and what I have to improve, so that's my main goals, you know, for now. I'm trying to be away from from talking too much about myself. But you've played some big names this year, and, and all of them, have, I think, uh, played Murray, played Nadal, played Federer, all said really positive things about you. <laughs> when you hear those comments from those kind of legends of the game, if you like, how does that make you feel? No, it feels great, and you can see that the players, they, they are respecting you as a player, That uh, also that I'm improving, and definitely it motivates me to work even harder. What is it that you think you need to work on to, to reach the to reach their level to, you know, to compete with those big guys on a on a daily basis. As I said, uh, still a lot of work in front of me. Um, yeah, I'm now close to top 30, but you are talking about to be top 10 or top 5. So still, there are some stages in front of me to pass first. So top top 25, top 20, and it's I need everything. I need to improve everything. So I don't go. I don't like to go specific in some terms. So I need to improve everything and. You don't know how much time it will take, so I'm trying to improve day by day and we'll see where it's going to bring me. 21-year-old Russian Karen Hachanov uh, talking there uh, with uh, great confidence, it seems. Growing confidence, certainly. He's got a big game. I mean, he's a big guy, six foot six, Arvin, and uh, some real presence now on the tour, do you feel? Yeah, most definitely so. Watched him uh, a lot last year and was so impressed. Picked up his first title in Chengdu. And he's got some major weapons. I mean, again, another player that if he stays fit and healthy and uh, just focused, uh, only good things are going to come his way. Um, he can play on all surfaces, very impressed at his size, how well he plays on the clay, but also can translate that game very nicely onto the quicker courts as well. And uh, certainly a man on a mission. 
Well, we'll have commentary on the uh, ATP uh, Next Gen Finals in Milan in November on ATP Tennis Radio. He's currently, Chachanov, uh, second in the race for Milan. It's topped by Alexander Zverev, no surprise there. But uh, the other members uh, currently of the eight who could qualify, Andre Rublev, who had his first title a week ago, Borna Choric, Daniel Medvedev, Yong Chung uh, from Korea, Francis Tiafo, one of the American up-and-comers, and another American, Jared Donaldson. Who for you, aside from Zverev and Hachanov, has stood out there? For me, I've, I've been uh, I've been enjoying watching Medvedev play. Actually, watched him uh, at uh, Queens Club where he made a, a decent run there, and very efficient with the way he plays. Uh, kind of nothing uh, outstanding, but very strong from the back of the court. You know, he's a rangy player. He's very light as well. A guy again who's well into six foot something and, and moves so well it's ball nice and flat and, and good on all surfaces the emotional control out there is also good that's uh, Arvin's view on the youngsters and we look forward to uh, seeing how they progress uh, through the autumn but you're listening to ATP Tennis Radio oh it's a monstrous point from Isner And that's all I can say. Oh, that's it. From Rafael Nadal. And volley from Lopez. A stunner. He puts up for another overhead smash. And somehow Karlovic just squeezed that inside the sideline. Wow. Here comes Almagro. Goes down the line and wins the point. You're listening to ATP Tennis Radio. Well, one of the major talking points uh, this week, Arvin, has been uh, Novak Djokovic announcing that uh, he's had to uh, close down his 2017 campaign because of this uh, right elbow injury. I mean, he's been sidelined now by that. We saw him playing his last match at Wimbledon where he pulled up hurt against Thomas Burdick in the quarterfinals. And uh, obviously he's said, he's revealed since, that he's been feeling pain in that elbow for the past 18 months. He actually issued a statement on the... Facebook Live uh, during the week in which he said, my elbow's hurt due to excessive playing and it troubles me constantly when serving and now when hitting my forehand as well. He said, all the doctors I've consulted and all the specialists I've visited in Serbia and all over the world have agreed that this injury requires rest. A prolonged break from the sport is inevitable, but I will do whatever it takes to recover. So obviously he's taken, you know, wide views on that and, and the consensus has been that uh, he must stop so we wish him well in his recovery yep. he's also got uh, a second baby on the way his wife Yelena expecting uh, later this year so time in a way to step away and get the body fully fit again but from your own point of view you know dealing with injuries um, not an easy thing to do but you've obviously got to you know look at the long-term picture haven't you yeah I think you could, yeah you've got to look at your long-term health not only tennis but also once tennis is over I think uh, in the short term if, if Djokovic wants to get the, the very best out of himself still I think he needs to come back 100% fit I think uh, that's the only way and I'll, I'll, I've been very surprised actually to, to listen to his thoughts and and, and uh, very interesting to hear that you know he has been playing injured for so long uh, and, and I really thought that wouldn't have been the case for someone as who's so highly tuned as someone like Djokovic who's made so many smart decisions uh, over the years but I think the amount of tennis that he's he's played has just finally caught up with him and and the, the fact that you know it only started to hurt on the serve but now it's starting to bleed into his forehand and his his baseline game it's that's not good so he needs to come back 100% healthy otherwise you know 
you think he's never going to be able to reach those those heights that, that we've seen in previous years. Yeah, well, obviously, uh, the likes of Federer and Nadal are coming back after uh, their injuries of 2016 really have come back with a bang. So we'll have to see, as you say, how uh, the Serb does in due course. And we'll also have to see uh, what Andy Murray decides in terms of uh, when he's going to next play on the tour. The signs are good, though. I think uh, he has been uh, hitting against a tennis wall in the past few days. So uh, we're wishing him for a speedy recovery from his uh, hip issue and a return to the tour. Seb Lozier has been speaking to another of the game's greats who made the news this week. Andy Roddick is the latest tennis star inducted into the International Tennis Hall of Fame. The Nebraskan was the last American male to win a major or finish as year-end number one. He was able to do so after an incredible 28 victories in 29 matches on the hard courts in the summer of 2003. It was a whirlwind, you know, from kind of the semis of Wimbledon through the summer of 2003, through US Open title, through playing for number one through doing all of a sudden it's this whirlwind of doing Saturday Night Live and all this other stuff and then still trying to play for number one and that that was uh, a, a crazy hurricane of a six months for me um, but it was uh, it was so much fun you know I still remember listening I was at a Mexican restaurant and I was listening on the phone as Andre was playing uh, Ferrero in the round robin part of Masters and if he wins that match uh, I'm number one in the world so to kind of make it ridiculous as far as the moment one of your heroes is playing for you to be number one and I'm listening on the phone as that happens and hear the crowd go nuts and, and, and so that's a, that's a huge moment. I'm very psyched for him, an enormous tennis player, um, so well deserved really. I'd like to congratulate him and uh, you know I'm always happy to see um, old friends that I can even call Hall of Famers now. So it's, uh, it's very cool for him and I'm super happy. And like Roger Federer, Roddick was renowned for his effective service and his tenacity. Roddick's consistency was often overlooked. For a decade, kind of staying in the top 10 and staying in the conversation was uh, an effort. You know, I, I, a lot of people kind of have a year or two down at a time and I was able to kind of stay the course uh, and, you know, play a pretty high level up until uh, the day that I retired. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of proud of the totality of that. First ballot Hall of Famer, I mean, he's had an incredible career. He was just so consistent. Uh, he was in the top 10 in the world for, I believe, nine straight years. He would be one of those guys, you know, one of those fighters that just always showed up every single match, every single day. To carry the load of, um, you know, being the number one American for almost his entire career, he couldn't be happier for a good friend and a, a guy that uh, definitely deserves it and, and gave back to the game that, that gave so much to him. The thoughts of fellow Americans Marty Fish and James Blake and to the delight of other compatriots Todd Martin and Bob Bryan, the former world number one and major champion now has a new title, Andy Roddick, Hall of Famer. From the moment he started to the moment he finished, he was at the very top of the game. Uh, world number one, uh, a Grand Slam, uh, one Grand Slam title at the US Open, and then three Wimbledon finalists. It's an amazing career. He was a soldier for the US Davis Cup team. I think he was 14-0 in clinching matches, always there for us. Went to his house so many times. No one deserves this more. Um, Andy, you've worked harder than anyone, and uh, we really congratulate you on this honor. It's, it's tough to give it uh, what it deserves in a, in a soundbite. I thought I had a shot at it. Um, you know, I, I didn't think it was a given, um, especially this quickly. Uh, you know, so I'm, I'm certainly thankful when you're 
when other Hall of Famers and uh, journalists that have covered you, uh, when they're the ones giving you the thumbs up to come in, um, it, means, uh, it means a lot. He retired in 2012, but Roddick is as busy as ever and hugely ambitious for his life after tennis. <laughs> a lot of different business ventures, whether it's real estate or tech startups or um, you know, angel investments. Uh, the Andy Roddick Foundation is, is doing very well. We serve 1,500 kids daily in, uh, in Austin, Texas. Um, we, we've taken over uh, a partnership with Austin Parks and Rec, so we, we're actually going at 13 different sites daily. The goal is progress daily, in whether it's business or philanthropy or uh, on a personal level. And it's, uh, it, you know, my, my days are full, but nothing controls my geography, which is nice. I'm lucky. Retirement's been easier for me than I thought it would be. I'm in a really good place. You know, I love my wife and our son more than I can handle most days. I, I miss playing. I miss those moments of kind of the nerviness of it. Uh, you know, the, the, the 20 seconds after a huge win, that 20 seconds of feeling accomplishment from something you've built towards for a couple of months is, is something that I'll never be able to replace. Hearty congratulations to Andy Roddick on his induction into the International Tennis Hall of Fame. Arvin, you got to play him once. What was mm. that like? <laughs> yeah, it was quite an experience. I think he was number two in the world. Oh. It's in Bangkok, uh, indoor hard court, and uh, you know, Seth said it was good for both of us. Really, obviously, very good for for Roddick uh, having such a good record on the hard. But I mean, that serve at the time was colossal. I mean, that was his major weapon. He backed it up so well with a forehand as well played with so much intensity a lot of joy as well and uh, you know i really enjoyed the match obviously i, I didn't win i think it was like uh, two and four or something like that but uh, i had chances in that second set i remember having a break point i think at uh, four all i think in that second set had a chance and i'll never forget the second serve he hit i mean it was just uh, this thing kicked like a mule you know he could hit so much kick on that on that second serve. one of the reasons why he was so successful because of that serve well, he certainly had confidence as a teenager. I first interviewed him when he was playing in Nottingham, and mm. uh, he, he knew where he wanted to go. And of course, he got to number one in the world. He won the U.S. Open. He also won the Davis Cup. Eventually, he was such a stalwart for the U.S.A. in that event. And I remember getting the chance to speak to him then with James Blake after they'd won. They were a bit worse for wear with all the champagne <laughs> imagine, that uh, yeah. they'd sprayed over one another, and uh, indeed uh, downed a bit of it as well. But it was just so good to see, after all the years of commitment to the cause, that they had that great success in in Portland. And I suppose the other thing that stands out in terms of matches, I mean, so many battles that he had, but you think of the Wimbledon battles with Federer and that, yeah. that ultimate one in 2009, mm. the 16-14 final set. And you just, your heart went out to him, didn't it? Yeah. When he lost, you know, broken at the end of the match for the only time. Yeah, absolutely. You did, you did feel for him because he, he certainly played well enough. You felt like he deserved to win Wimbledon due to his style of game and the fact that you know he made the three finals, kept putting himself in those those winning positions. But he you know, played in, in an era with so many great players, with the likes of Djokovic, the likes of, of course, Federer, Nadal, Murray as well. So, uh, you know, I think those players certainly got the best out of him as a player as well because he had to, had to lift the bar himself. In terms of uh, hardcore players, you talked about his, his great skills on that, but in the overall sort of pantheon of great hardcore mm. players of the open era, <laughs> that's a big time and a lot <laughs> of players, but yeah. you know, where might you put him? Who would you put in your top five? Well, in my top five, I mean, there's so many great players on the hard courts for me. Of course, you can look down the routes of, of numbers, titles won, uh, matches won on the hard, winning percentages, but it's also the style of game they brought to, to the hard courts uh, for me. And, and my top five are probably Federer, number one, just mm -hmm. 
simply because of the numbers are just so great and the amount of matches he's uh, won on the Harcourt, 687, 63 titles are on the on the Harcourt, of course, a lot of those being being uh, Grand Slams as well. Pete Sampras, another one for me. He was uh, such a great player on, on the Harcourt, so seven Grand Slams at, at uh, on the hard. Uh, the US and uh, the Australian Open, uh, the serve and volley that he had. When hard courts were a little bit quicker, Andre Agassi as well, six grand slams on the hard. Loved the way he played, uh, hit the ball so purely, the hard, the fact that you could always trust the bounce just enabled him to take the ball so early and just, you know, he was really for me the first player I saw that just did not budge off that baseline. It was quite incredible to see. Novak Djokovic in recent years obviously uh, had struggles of late, but the way he moves on a hard court, uh, first person I really saw that consistently slid on a hard court. You know, those angles, he was, those ankles, he's uh, like made of rubber on, on, on the hard. The way he can stop and turn on the dime, always impressed and always will be impressed how well he plays on the hard. And uh, I think uh, slightly further back, Jimmy Connors, yes. uh, you know, in his 40s, still playing Grand Slams that he won five US Opens, one Australian Open, and uh, in 74, what a year it was for him. Three Grand Slams, one on the Oz, one uh, down in Oz, uh, one Wimbledon, one the US, and a guy that was, you know, played with such passion as we, we were talking about just a, a couple of weeks ago, and, and uh, he was such a competitor. But, you know, everyone, could, you can make a case for so many other you players could. as well. Well, Miles McLagan, who was on the podcast uh, last week, a good buddy of yours, obviously a former mm. British player and uh, coach as well of uh, Andy Murray in the past, um, he went with four of your picks okay. in his top five. He oh. had Federer, Djokovic, Sampras, Agassi, and Lendl. Of course, yeah. I mean, Lendl, someone's got to miss out, right? I mean, <laughs> Lendl, you look at his numbers. Don't miss it out to his face. Yeah, though. exactly. Yeah, <laughs> so it takes a brave man. But uh, 395, I'm looking uh, at his uh, wins on hard court and uh, 31 career titles. So, I mean, so many great players on the hard. It's such a fair surface. I think it's probably the fairest surface out there. Yes, and just looking at the official list in terms of uh, performance on hard courts in the open era, Djokovic officially has the highest winning percentage, 84.2% on hard courts. Uh, Federer second, Connors third, Lendl fourth, and Rod Laver in at uh, fifth position. He didn't play as many matches on hard, of no. course. Back then, you know, three of the slams were, were, on, were on grass courts. Not uh, as many tournaments. Not either, as many yeah. tournaments, but still, he had an 81.3% winning record on the surface and uh, just to briefly look down below them the names of the likes of Sampras and Agassi and Andy Murray also we're in the uh, top 10 uh, completed by Stefan Edberg in terms of uh, winning percentage on hard courts this is ATP tennis radio so that's it from us for this week as we wrap things up in Hamburg uh, my sincere thanks to uh, Arvin for your thoughts and insights it's been great fun yeah uh, really has been good fun looking for, forward to the rest of the year the tournaments uh, still come thick and fast they do indeed and in fact next sunday atp tennis radio will bring you live commentary from the washington 500 final there'll also be news updates throughout the week from that event as well as our weekly podcast plus there's also the 250s in los cabos mexico and the clay court event in kitzbühel austria and then it's on to the Masters 1000 events in Montreal and Cincinnati, where ATP Tennis Radio will bring you commentary throughout the week via TuneIn Radio, the ATP website, and on the official Rogers Cup and Western and Southern Cincinnati websites. Join us then. You're listening to ATP Tennis Radio, available on the official websites and apps. 
on TuneIn and iTunes. If you like this podcast, please visit the iTunes store and search Tennis Radio to leave a review. 